Hi, Mike Gibson coming to you live from ACC 2018 in Orlando, and I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Mandeep Mera. Welcome, Mandeep. Thank you, Mike. Mandeep, talk to us about the long-term outcomes from Momentum 3, yeah. uh, you know, a trial looking at the HeartMate technology. Yeah, so Momentum uh, 3 is the uh, largest left ventricular assist device trial uh, performed to date, a randomized control trial, in this very difficult space of advanced heart failure. Momentum 3 randomizes patients to a traditionally available current device, the HeartMate 2 device, which is a continuous flow axial pump that has mechanical parts to it. So it tends to wear down and has a risk of de novo pump thrombosis hmm. that has been concerning to us. Mm -hmm. We compared that to the HeartMate 3 device, which is a novel uh, device and has some unique uh, features. So the, uh, it has a fully magnetically levitated rotor. Hmm. So it's completely frictionless. It has no bearings, is not prone to wear and tear. Mm -hmm. And even though the device fits in the palm of your hand and is fully implanted into the chest, it actually is engineered to have very wide blood flow paths so that red cells uh, entering and exiting the device are not prone to shear stress. Hmm. So this is a novel uh, platform that was designed to avert pump thrombosis. Mm -hmm. There's one other unique design feature of this device, and, and these continuous flow devices render an individual pulseless. Right. But the ArtMate 3 actually has a fixed pulse algorithm within it huh. where it uh, revs itself up and revs itself down every two seconds, creating an artificial oh, pulse. That's great. Yeah. And um, what are the benefits of having a pulse, uh, you know, versus yeah. the continuous flow? I mean, for someone who doesn't yeah. study this yeah. technology. Yeah, when, when we transitioned from pulsatile pumps um, uh, early on to non-pulsatile pumps, the reason for that was not that we could do without a pulse, mm -hmm. but the reason was that in order to replace the uh, function of pulsatility, the devices had to be very bulky because they needed displacement chambers. So these devices used to sit in the abdomen, right? And uh, they they used to weigh about thirteen to fifteen pounds. Wow! Yeah, uh, so they were quite uncomfortable. Right. The second problem with pulsatile devices was that they had valves in them, uh -huh. and the valves lacked durability. I see. Uh, so so they would last maybe eight months. I see. Or so, and I the see. valves would wear off uh, wow. because of the shear stress imposed on them. Wow! So we transitioned to non-pulsatile flow to make them more durable and more compact. Mm -hmm. Now, the price that we pay uh, with loss of pulsatility is um, very similar to the price that people pay when they have critical aortic stenosis. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So, for example, there is a syndrome called Hades syndrome. Hmm. Hades syndrome was recognized by this um, uh, physician in, um, I think, in Washington State, uh, where he said, you know, um, I don't know why, but patients with, atrial, uh, with aortic stenosis have GI bleeding very hmm. often, and mm -hmm. angiodysplasia yes, of the yes. colon. Yeah, That's right. called Hades syndrome. Uh -huh. And what we found is that when we transition these patients to non-pulsatile flow, they have an inordinately high rate of gastrointestinal bleeding and angiodysplasia of huh. the colon. Uh, very similar to what a low uh, pulse pressure state in critical aortic stenosis would do. Huh. So there is a price to be paid for and lack of pulsatility. What's the pathophysiology of that? Does anyone understand? Yeah, I think that we are beginning to understand that one of the things that happens uh, with uh, blood that's transitioning through these devices is that it shears high molecular weight multimers of von Willebrand factor. And what you do is you create a type 2A acquired von Willebrand disease. Huh essentially in these patients, that sets up the partial cascade for a rheologic uh, perturbation. But then oxidative stress 
angiogenesis at a microcirculatory level results in um, uh, the propensity for GI bleeding in a very conglomerate uh, sort of basis, wow. a multifactorial process. Wow. So we pay that price, mm -hmm. and then we pay two other prices. One is clotting of the pump itself, mm -hmm. because these, um, uh, when, when red cells are sheared, they also become more thrombogenic. Sure. Sure. They, they're not just creating acquired von Willebrand disease. And then this, the next thing that we pay a big price on is strokes. So we have, uh, in 50 years, we have not been able to shift stroke rates with left ventricular assist devices. It has been the bane of our existence. Every time we put a device in, uh, patients ask us, what is the expectation? We say, minimum of 10% per year, a Oof. stroke rate, minimum, wow. okay? Wow. And we say, oh, don't worry about it. Most of them are not disabling, you know? <laughs> you yeah. know? But right. a stroke is a, a stroke, stroke is a stroke. Right. Sure. So, so this HeartMate 3 platform, Mm -hmm. was really designed to see if not only could we abrogate some of these issues related to pump thrombosis primarily, right? but could we make a difference in stroke? And, and are these strokes uh, embolic or are they low yeah. flow or both? They're or? both. Mm -hmm. They're ischemic and hemorrhagic. Mm. Ischemic strokes are more predominant than hemorrhagic, mm -hmm. uh, largely because all these patients have to be anticoagulated. Mm -hmm. So we often will see hemorrhagic transformation of ischemic sure. strokes. Sure. We believe that most of these strokes are um, ischemic strokes. and. For some uh, unknown reason, they have a predilection for the right hemisphere. <laughs> weird. It's really weird. It's really weird. Is that yeah. the predilection, or is just we detect strokes on that side more often? Uh, it could be. Yeah. Could be. Although, um, uh, although we, uh, you, you know, if you just had to take a guess, uh, if somebody had a stroke and uh, and 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 you wanted to tell the house staff uh, how great you were as a clinician, you said, you know, I think it's going to be in the right insular region, yeah. and you'd be right about eighty percent of the time. Wow, yeah. that's interesting. It's yeah. fascinating. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, uh, where are we going from here, Mandeep? Is there going to be a HeartMate 4? I mean, where do you see yeah. the improvements? Yeah. Where's, the, where's the field yeah. going? So, so first of all, the HeartMate 3 uh, in Momentum 3 showed um, uh, two very important signals. So we're mm -hmm. pretty much done with pump thrombosis. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the rate of reoperations for malfunctioning devices was at an all-time low in this uh, pump. The second signal we saw for the first time was a halving of stroke rates wow. with this device. Wow! So, so for the first time ever, we have a clear signal that strokes are reduced. Mm -hmm. We still have problems with gastrointestinal bleeding, and sure. that's because we use traditional levels of anticoagulation. Mm -hmm. So the first few uh, iterations uh, will be medical management, where we start to look at low-intensity anticoagulation mm -hmm. regimens mm -hmm. and try and deal with the hemorrhagic side of the complications, since we've dealt with the thrombotic side Correct. of the complications. But the more important question that you asked is, where's the field going to run? Right. The way I look at the field right now is that we have finally found a forgiving pump, mm -hmm. but not a forgettable pump. And the reason it's not forgettable is that you still have a drive line that exits the abdomen, mm -hmm. connects into a battery pack that people harness on their shoulders. Mm -hmm. And the challenge with that is that there is always a risk of driveline infections. Uh, and, and a patient has to be bound to power sources all the time. Right, right. So the next generation, the HeartMate 4, or right. what we are now calling the HeartMate X, because mm -hmm. we don't really know whether that technology should be the HeartMate 10, mm -hmm. um, is, uh, is a fully internalized, fully implantable uh, version of this device where there is no power source that exits the body. Right. Yeah, I know uh, a lot of researchers at MIT are doing work on 
not using just yep. you know the transmission of energy without wires Absolutely. and of course now you can set your iPhone on something and get it charged yep. without wires so you're going to use that kind of technology yeah I, yeah I think I think free free resonance technology is what uh, mm -hmm. has a lot of promise in this mm -hmm. uh, field um, uh, you know, uh, I often wonder uh, why we can't use hydrodynamic power. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the blood moves. Yeah, exactly, you know? or the body yeah. itself. Yeah, body yeah. itself. Or thermal energy. Yeah. You know, we, we are heated right. humans, and we have blood that moves, and perhaps we harness both of those sources. So I think our engineers are going to have a field day mm -hmm. trying to find novel uh, power sources to uh, internalize these devices. Any chance of having better valves in the future to get back to that pulsatile flow? I mean, is it that human valves were designed so well yeah. uh, that they have the durability, or are human valves really replacing themselves all the time and repairing themselves, exactly. which uh, mechanical valves aren't? So, yeah. so what can we do better? Yeah, I, I think that the pulsatility algorithms will have to use a non-valve interface. A non-valve interface, yeah. Sam. So, and, 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 and so one can uh, imagine, just like the HeartMate 3 has a fixed pulse in it, what it does is the motor just revs itself up by 2,000 RPMs, and down by 2,000 RPMs every two seconds. So it gives mm -hmm. a sort of a, a pseudo intrinsic pseudo-pulse of about 30 beats uh, per minute. But in the future, if we can actually insert smart technology where a patient can modulate the pulse, mm -hmm. uh, that would be, uh, I think, a good next step where, where there could be a programmable uh, way of revving up and revving down the device in response to different, you know, dif different time points during the day if you're climbing upstairs or you're, right. Uh, right. You, you know, you're hiking or you're biking. Right, <laughs> so, right. So, so I think the future and is pretty bright. that seems right for all the AI types of interventions. Exactly. You're walking. It exactly. makes it, yeah, all that. Exactly. Well, for someone who doesn't work in this field, I always love talking to you because I always learn, <laughs> just learn so much. Oh, it's really great yeah. stuff, cool stuff. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for yeah. coming by today, yeah. uh, and uh, Mandeep. And thanks to all of you for joining us out there live from ACC 2018.